Thank you. This is fun, isn't it? It's, um, thanks. I think, um, thank you for letting me speak to you. I think it's about 12 years or something like that since I last spoke to City Church. And uh, just got over it and a bit allowed back. So that's amazing, isn't it? The, uh, we just planted Pershaw Community Church about 12 years ago. And um, so last summer, in case you didn't know, Joe and I, we handed on the leadership of Pershaw Community Church to a team there. And we're, uh, and they're, they're getting on great and moving ahead as a church under that leadership, which is fantastic. And uh, we are kind of waiting to hear from God on what our next steps are. And uh, it's fun. It's fun. Let's get straight into this encounter with Jesus. And we're going to read uh, in Matthew chapter 8, a fantastic encounter. I like these passages that, uh, I don't know whether it's Graham or the team, have picked for these different encounters that people had with Jesus. And I think uh, it's a great selection of different episodes out of the Gospels. So we're going to read, I'm going to read the passage from Matthew 8, verse 5 onwards. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralysed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. We've got another encounter with one of these unlikely people that Jesus has been meeting. And I think... I, maybe I'm, I hope I haven't missed any out, but I think Paul talked about Zacchaeus and Nestor, uh, talked about the Samaritan woman, and now we've got another unlikely person for Jesus to be speaking to. Another person who, for all sorts of reasons, is maybe not the kind of first type of person that you think Jesus would be connecting with. The first thing is that this is someone who wasn't from the Jewish background that Jesus was from. 
This is someone who, as they called him, a Gentile, a non-Jew. He was a Roman centurion. He wasn't one of the, the lost sheep of Israel that Jesus said he was called to, to reach out to. The next reason is that he was part of this occupying army. 63 BC, I think, the Romans had con conquered the whole of Israel and that area in the Middle East there. And so that's probably about 90 years before the passage that we're reading took place. This was an occupying army that had ruled over that land. And part of the reason why when Paul was talking about Zacchaeus as the tax collector, uh, why the reason that the, the Romans were so disliked was because they were taxing the people of Israel and other nations all around, and they were ruling over them, and uh, many people felt they were sucking the kind of financial life out of these lands. And then another reason, he was a leader in the Roman army. We, we know, and I don't want to be sensitive with how I draw this parallel, but we know what it's like, don't we, in in our world to see in the news uh, images of a conquering or an army trying to invade another land and rule over. We've seen that, haven't we, in, in just recent memory in Ukraine. And amidst all the, the turmoil of what's happening there, I know there's been different times where people have felt uh, some sympathy for the conscripts in that army that are being made to go and carry out uh, a task that they probably don't buy into a lot of them. But we in our situation, we look at that invasion in Ukraine and we think, well, the people in charge, the responsibility lies with them more, doesn't it? Right the way up the ladder. And so we've got this man that Jesus has come to him in Capernaum, a man who wasn't a Jew, a man who was from this occupying army, and a man who was actually one of the leaders in that occupying army. Not like a, just a kind of basic foot soldier that you could maybe say, well, it's not really, it's not so much of a choice of his. But Jesus loves people, doesn't he? Jesus loves people. And he looked at that man and looked into his eyes and looked with, with, uh, with compassion at heart for this man. My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible, terrible suffering. And he called Jesus Lord, didn't he? He, he set the, the, uh, the tone for their relationship right at the start of the centurion did by saying Lord. Lord, he acknowledged something of the nature of Jesus. Jesus looks at people and, and sees people. We were talking in our uh, home group this week about uh, those words that, that Hagar said in Genesis 16, where she described God as, God, the Lord who sees me, the Lord who sees. And that same name, we can ascribe it to Jesus as well, the Lord who sees sees and looks. It reminds me, 
I've, uh, I went to see uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, with, uh, with Mike and my son the other week. And I, I know that it's uh, a film that's had very mixed reviews. I read that review that said watching the film is like being waterboarded with turquoise cement for three hours, which isn't a particularly positive review of a film, is it? But actually, I quite enjoyed it, and we watched it together when I was visiting at, him at uni. Um, but there's a thing in, those, in that series of films where uh, someone says something intimate to someone, where they kind of connect with someone. And the phrase, if you've seen either the first Avatar or this one, they say, they say I see you. I see you. And it reminded me of this, that uh, uh, when it came up again in, uh, in our home group this week, the Lord who sees you. I want to be like Jesus. I want to see people. I want to notice people. I want to um, have that heart for people that, that wants to connect with people and that wants to know what's going on. I'm going to um, change things around a little bit this morning, and I've got some questions for you, but I want you to think about them now. And uh, then I'm going to pick up the second sh- shorter half of the message maybe after that. But what I want to do is just uh, meditate on the questions for a moment. And then I'm going to just get you to talk amongst yourselves for a couple of minutes about what your answer to the questions is. Because in terms of seeing people with the eyes of Jesus, I want us to just meditate and think for a moment. Who do I look past? Because the centurion was someone that you could have expected Jesus to look past. Who do I ignore? Who do I not see? And what do I need to do in response? So let's just have a moment of quiet and let's just think of that. Does God bring anyone to mind for you? Anyone that you look past normally or just don't see? Thank you, Lord. And now I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to just turn to people around you. Just, is there anyone that God has brought to your mind that you can share with people around you that, yeah, maybe actually I need to think about that person, reach out to that person? Do you know what? I don't know is a valid answer in your chat in the next couple of minutes with each other because there might not be someone that God has brought to mind for you. But just for these next couple of minutes, can you talk about that? with people around you. It's God put someone on your heart that you need to make more of an effort to see, to notice, to reach out to, to talk to. We're going we're gonna to move on. But if you need to talk about that more, then... Uh, carry on afterwards when uh, if you've got more to talk about and pray about verse 10 when Jesus heard this when Jesus heard what the centurion said he was astonished and he said to those following him 
I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This is a, a fascinating insight into the nature of Jesus. A fascinating insight into the nature of the Christ. That he could be astonished by the faith that he saw in someone. And we believe as Christians that Jesus on earth was fully God and fully human. And that is, maybe that's partly what Paul was talking about as the mystery of Christ, fully God and fully human. But we see a fascinating thing here. You know, last time Nestor talked about how Jesus knows everything about you. He knows, the Lord knows everything about you. He knows how you got here this morning. He knows what's in your fridge. He knows, <laughs> sounds like maybe some people have got some dirty secrets in their fridge. He knows your motives. He knows what you're thinking of doing after church today. He knows, he knows what you give, weekly or monthly, to God's work, or whether you don't, whether you make some clever excuses in your head. He knows, he knows what your search history is. Doesn't matter if you've deleted it, Jesus knows. He knows us, doesn't he? But we see this, this insight into the, the 30 years where Jesus was fully human, where something could astonish him, something could surprise him. Later on, a few chapters on, in Matthew 14, you read about when, when Jesus heard what had happened to John the Baptist when John the Baptist was executed. And Jesus' emotional reaction to hearing something that was news to him. And I don't want to go too deeply into the whole Christology thing. You can go off to Bible college for three years and do your Christology modules and everything. But somehow Jesus had laid aside that knowing everything and was surprised by this faith of this centurion. And Jesus says something to the centurion. When the centurion has displayed his faith, he says something, he uses one word in particular that I think is a real key word in Matthew's gospel. And let me skip ahead. He says to him, go. It was one of the words that the centurion had used. He'd said, I tell this person to go, and they go. I tell this person to come to me, and they come. This person to do that, and they do that. But Jesus picks one of those words that the centurion had used and says, go. We are a movement of people that go. Sometimes we try and turn church into a religion of come to us. But the call of Christ on our lives is to go, and to go, and to go. This is the gospel, isn't it? Matthew's gospel that finishes with Jesus saying, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We are that people, a people called to go. And he says it to the centurion. He says, go, it will be done just as you've asked for, 
go. There's something really important in the word go in Matthew's Gospel and in the New Testament. A few chapters later, he says it to the disciples. Go, I'm going to send you in pairs. You're going to go and you're going to take the message of the kingdom. You're going to see people healed. You're going to see people set free. Go. And he says it to us. It's his call to us to be people that go. Now, before Graham gets too jumpy and you'll book trips to, permanent trips to all around the world to go. Go is, is as much an attitude and a way of living as it is a, a geographical location. Because sometimes go means that day when someone pops into your mind, someone that you haven't seen for many years, and go means I'm going to make an effort. I'm either going to go and visit that person. I think God's put them on my mind. I'm going to go and visit them. Or I'm going to go across the room to, to my phone where I've left it over there and I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to speak to that person. And sometimes it is to go to North Africa or to China or to wherever. But we're a people that are called to go. And let's not forget that. Let's not become that, that religion that thinks, oh, people will come to us. You know, if they want answers to life's questions, spiritual, they'll come to us. They know where we are. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. They're not going to, we've got to go. We've got to go to people. I think it stands to reason, you know, in any room full of Christians, that there's some calls on our lives that we need, we need to awaken or reawaken. Some calls on our lives to go to maybe a particular group of people that we used to connect with and we need to connect with them again. Or maybe it is that big call to go, to give up everything, to, to go off and study Christology at Bible college for three years. Or, or maybe it is the call to go to another nation. I'm not saying I've got some prophetic insight into different calls on our lives that we need to reawaken. I'm just saying it stands to reason, knowing myself that there's times when I just forget about what God has called me to or kind of push it to one side so I can concentrate on doing my own thing. What's the call? What are the calls to go that God has placed on you that you maybe need to fan back into flame? and reawaken. It might be something very simple. It might be something groundbreaking. Let's spend a few moments in his, in his presence and open our hearts, open our minds to hear what God wants to remind us of. Things, that, things and situations and people that he has called us to go to. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the very nature of our gospel is a, a gospel of incarnation, of you becoming flesh. 
of you going from glory and into our human situation. This incarnational gospel, Lord, we, it thrills our hearts. We, we love it, Lord. We love what you have done for us. And we love the way that you've displayed your love for all people. And afresh and new this morning, we want to say, Lord, we want to be part of that process. If you have a call on us to go somewhere or to someone, fire it up in us, please, Lord. Fire it up. We love you, Lord, and we want to fulfill what what you've called us to, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Go. If I do apologise, Graham, if there's no one here <laughs> next week. But, yeah, there won't be many chairs to put out, will it? Let's go in, in the name of Jesus and let's take this message of the God, the God who sees people. The God who sees people. Let's take that to people together. Amen. Um, thanks, Neil. While we were worshipping earlier, I just had a picture that I wanted to share. As we were all singing, I saw in the spirit a fire coming from the back of the room, rolling across the floor underneath us. And I asked God what, what was happening, what was that? Um, and what it was was the fire was burning off things that were from the last season that we don't need to take into the next season, um, which is a good thing. And I also noticed that there were some of us who were holding on to things that we feel often now and for what God wants to do. But actually there are some things, just like in earthly seasons, we have um, spring, summer, autumn, winter, things that are needed for different seasons. And we see in nature how things go and die and for, space to think, for, space, for things to grow into the next season and move forward and progress. Um, and I felt that there were things that some of us were holding on to that we thought were still for us now and to go forward. But actually, the longer we held on for it, the more it was like we were being hurt ourselves. And I think there was just an encouragement for, A, for, um, yeah, for us to kind of check in with God and kind of ask, what is the season I'm in or we're in? Um, and I think just a few questions that if we just... If, if we just close our eyes now and just ask the Lord, God, what do you have for me for this next season? And what do you want to be for me and my family in this next season? So what do you have for me and my family and what do you want to be for me and my family? <laughs> 